Good morning. Let's all stand together at all our campuses as I come to you from our campus here in Stevens Point this morning. And uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And again, good morning. To all of you, our campus is over in Appleton and Green Bay this morning. As I said, we're here at our campus. First time bringing the message from here, our campus here in Stevens Point, uh, a building that when we first got into it was <laughs> just an old greasy <laughs> mess. It was a horrible uh, industrial building, which we got into and started cleaning up and fixing up. And they turned it into really just a real beautiful place uh, here in central Wisconsin where people can worship and stuff like that. Uh, and it's been a real blessing, this building. Although, uh, apparently not too long ago, a week or so ago, they had a big burst in the pipes here because of the real cold and just kind of trashed a whole bunch of stuff. Good news, it's the kind of thing that was not dangerous and nobody got hurt. The bad news is all kinds of stuff got wet and smelly and icky. The really good news is the insurance will give us all brand new <laughs> carpeting and stuff like that here in point. So, hallelujah. You know, as long as no one gets hurt, it's great. It's like if somebody smashes into your parked car, you're glad nobody was in the car. The bummer is they smash your car. The good news is, hey, I get a new car. So anyway, so we're blessed here. A real quick um, update on our uh, Go Beyond campaign. As we look at the graphic, Appleton now up to $54,000. East Green Bay, $537,000. Stevens Point, 113 here, and uh, West Green Bay, 136 for a total of 842000 Still a little ways to go yet, but we're continuing to uh, reach our goal for the funds that we are uh, bringing in above and beyond to help with the ministries and the goals of the church. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, finish up, well, not finish up, probably uh, maybe another Sunday, maybe two more, I don't know, on the life of Moses. Uh, we're talking about the movie, the Exodus movie that's out and how inaccurate it is, which is not to be all that shocking. They're Hollywood. They don't really care and they don't really think these things through. Uh, what really stunned me is how many Christian people had no idea that it was inaccurate <laughs> because they don't read the Bible. So I can whine and complain about that, which I'm inclined to do anyway. But I thought, well, how about instead of cursing the darkness, Mark, you light a candle. So I thought, let me go through it with you so you can take a look and actually see what the Bible does say about the life of Moses. So in the first uh, message, uh, we talked about, you know, how Moses was born and they're, they're born at the time the Egyptians were, you know, 400 years into slavery and uh, yet the people were prospering and how the Egyptians were afraid. They were prospering so much they started killing off the young boys, trying to keep the population down. Moses was born during this time. Uh, the Pharaoh had said, you know, if any of the young boys are born and they're, a, you know, it's a boy, throw it into the Nile River, kill it, let the, let the girls live. 
Uh, Moses' mother hid Moses, floated him in the river, just kind of an act of desperation. But in the midst of that, God used that to save the boy as Pharaoh's daughter finds him and she basically adopts him. You know, it's like finding a puppy. Can I take it off? Can I take it off? So she takes the little, and she knew right away it was a Hebrew baby. The Bible says she knew it was a Hebrew baby. It's one of the things about these movies oftentimes. They talk about this great struggle as Moses later in life discovers who he is. Makes for great drama in film. It is not, in fact, at all what happened. Okay, uh, he knew who he was. In fact, the Bible says that when uh, he was a grown man, he knew who he was. And that's why he got upset when he saw one of the th Egyptians being very cruel to one of his kinsmen, if you will, even though he had a very fortunate life. I mean, he was raised in the most powerful family on earth. He had all the wealth, all the power, everything was good. He was 40 years old, so he's, he's been around for a while. As a man, when this event happens, he gets so mad because this guy's picking on this Israelite that Moses goes over, thinks nobody's looking, and kills the guy, which says a few things about Moses. Number one, again, being raised in that family, maybe he was well-skilled with a blade. More than likely he was. In the current movie, they show him as being a great warrior for Egypt as he was growing. You know, there's a lot of speculation in those 40 years. There's no record at all. The Bible says he was saved from the water, and then boom, he's 40 years old. So we have no record. So that's fine. They can make up whatever they want. Uh, I don't know that he was a great general. There's no indication to that. But he probably was a pretty skilled guy and uh, very well fed and well taken care of, very healthy. And he had no problem coming up and icing this dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chops him to pieces, kills him, and buries him in the sand. Well, then the next day... He finds out that the word is out that somebody saw him do it. Well, he freaks. The word gets back to Pharaoh. Well, boom, they got to put out an arrest warrant for Moses. And they're going to kill Moses because you can't just go around killing people. People tend to frown on that sort of activity. So the Pharaoh wanted to find Moses, arrest him, have him killed because of this act that he had done. Uh, this is where we left off. This was in uh, Exodus, the second chapter, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of what Moses had done. He tried to get Moses, tried to kill him. Uh, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So that's where we pick up the story. First, any other real detail about Moses. So now he's on the lamb. He runs for his life. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's out at Midian. And he sits down by this well. Now it says, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. <laughs> Holy cow. And uh, he, they came to draw water. So all these girls come, and they want to draw water from the well and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. So they were there not just, you know, for water, but to feed. They were obviously watching the goats and lambs, chickens, whatever they got. I don't know what they got. So he's, they're, they're watering, watering the trough. Well, then some shepherds come along, and these are really nasty guys. And they're kind of slamming the, the you know, the girls and making fun of them and harassing them. The shepherds come along, they drove them away. So they go and they, you know, really harass these girls. And the girls, you know, they, you know, they're powerless in front of these shepherds. Well, now remember, Moses just happens to be there and he sees this. And uh, the Bible says he got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. Now, we don't know what that means. You know, again, speculation, but probably fairly accurate. In that part of the movie, Exodus was probably one of the few parts that was probably dead right on. They show Moses there. The girls are being, you know, pushed about by these bullies. He stands up as a gentleman 
And uh, in the movie, it just show, showed him reaching for his uh, sword and starts to pull it. And of course, again, he just came out of Egypt. He's probably very skilled with a sword. The sword in and of itself would have said a lot. So that's probably very accurate. That's all that took was those guys saw him pulling that sword. They took out of there. Or it's just that Moses was a tough guy. Remember, he just killed this guy, thought nothing of it. He was probably very strong, very well built, very, you know, again, healthy, maybe knock the guys upside the head. I don't know what happened. You know, these are guys. They don't sit and reason. It's just whoever has a bigger club <laughs> to smack somebody around is usually the guy that wins, especially thousands of years ago. So all we know is that Moses steps up. These guys, ah, they go take it off. Whether it was just showing the sword or knocking one of them upside the head, whatever. Moses was not intimidated by these many shepherds. So he's a pretty strong, confident guy. It got him in trouble. His strength and confidence got him in trouble in Egypt. He was so strong and confident, they thought he could kill this guy. Nobody would find out about it. So everything goes wrong. Well, he shows up there. Again, he doesn't back down. He shows, stands up to these guys, and uh, they go running. So here's the hero. Here's the boy comes and saves the girls. How exciting. You know, who is this boy? And I'm sure the girls were thrilled because nothing's more exciting to young ladies than a new man who moves into town. Everybody's excited about the new guy, the new guy who comes to church, the new guy who comes around. Everybody's just all titter-painted because it's a new guy. And I know chicks, they love this because they're able to put all their ridiculous fantasies on the one guy. They don't really know him yet. <laughs> it's a problem. And I try to warn single girls, don't try to fall in love with some guy you don't know. Okay, everybody gets bored around the people that they do know. I'm not interested in that guy. Instead of growing up in the church and marrying guys from the church, no. They want to run off and find someone they don't know because it's more exciting and thrilling and they can put all their fantasies. Then, of course, they marry them. Then guys like me come along. And that's why I have a job because I got to help them sort it all out. Better to just think it through first. Anyway, so they're all excited about this guy. And they come back to dad. It says in verse 18, and, uh, and dad says, why are you, have you returned so early? And they're all excited. An, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Oh, dad, you should have seen him. He was fabulous. He even drew water for us and he watered the flock. What a nice boy. This is so wonderful. Of course, he goes, where is he? Why, why did you let him leave? Go get him and find him for something to eat. Why? He's got seven daughters. He's got to get rid of. So here's an available man who shows some cojones. For heaven's sakes, let's get him, bring him to the house, and let's meet this young man. So they invite him in. Moses agrees to stay with the man, who then he gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah then gives birth to a son. Moses names him Gershom. And then Moses has this moment where he realizes where he's at in life, and he says, I have become a foreigner living in a foreign land. This is my life now. This is, this is it. I got the girl. I got the son. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to basically be a goat herder now, which is a major step down for this guy who had everything and now was running for his life, stuck out in Midian. Uh, in the movie itself, I think one of the best parts, probably, I mean, in my personal opinion, the best part of the entire movie was uh, the interaction between Zipporah, this girl, and Moses when they got married. And uh, 
uh, they showed their, their wedding night. It wasn't graphic at all, but they showed their wedding night. And later on, again, the same thing. I don't know if this is true or not, as the tradition of the day or whatever, but what they showed is probably the most effective romantic love scene between a husband and wife I've ever seen on the screen. Hollywood rarely gets this stuff right, but this was fabulous, because what happens is the girl asks the guy some challenging questions, questioning the level and the depth of his commitment to her. And then he has to answer. And if he answers properly, as Moses did, then she says, you may proceed. <laughs> and that's all they showed of it. It was really kind of cool. And they do it again later. You know, he comes and he's with her and she starts grilling him again with questions. And then when, once he's passed the questions and professed his undying love to her and asked what she, answered what she asked, she said, you may proceed. And then, you know, proceed. And we don't ever see anything, thank God. But uh, so I thought that was really neat. That was probably the most, it was beautiful. I thought it was great. It's worth going to the movie just to see that scene, as far as I'm concerned. The rest of it kind of was stupid, but anyway. So the very next verse says, verse 23, during that long period, how long of a period? 40 years, 40 years, 40 more years. That's a long time. Now, granted, they lived a long time. Okay, and so he's 80 now. Maybe that's 55 to us, but even 55, 60 and being around goats and stuff all the time is a long time. The poor man, 40 years or so, 40 years. I don't care how long you live. And that's what he does all this period. Now, during that long period, uh, it says the king of Egypt died. This was the king that Moses had served under initially. Uh, that he was the basically adopted grandson of. So he dies. The next pharaoh comes up. I don't know how it worked. Quite frankly, I don't care how it worked. Uh, I don't know if it was an immediate son or what the politics were, but a new pharaoh comes into power. Now, in, all, in this movie, and the same in the Disney cartoon movie of, uh, of Moses' life, they showed that it was one of the boys that Moses grew up with and that they were close buds and they, hang, they hung together and, and then this unique, you know, ch uh, tension between the buddies now that now he's Pharaoh and now Moses is leading these new people and stuff like that. I think it's, you know, it doesn't say that that didn't happen, but I, I think it's highly unlikely that that happened. I mean, it's not like when God told Moses to go back to Pharaoh, he didn't go, oh, oh yeah, I know him. <laughs> you know, like if you tell me to go see my brother, yeah, I know him. I, I sure I'll go ask him whatever. It's, there was none of that. There was no. There's no indication there was any personal anything between Moses and whoever the next Pharaoh was. So again, that's all total myth. Does it matter? Not really. It doesn't really matter. Just they they look they, they like to look for tension um, in in films, and that was another point of tension. So so that's what they did. So this uh, uh, king of Egypt dies. Next king comes along. And uh, so, again, this takes for 40 years. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. Now it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So not, you know, not only, you have to understand <laughs> the humiliation involved here. The man's 80 years old. He's still working for his father-in-law. You know, I've, reminds me of poor Ross. Because <laughs> he doesn't work directly for me right now, but... <laughs> You know, at, at some level, that's got to be tough. Always working for your father. And a lot of people would have a real hard time with that. This is Moses' life. He was working for the old man. He's now 80 years old. He's tending the flock of the father-in-law, who was a priest of Midian. 
And so Moses leads the flock to the far side of the wilderness. Uh, he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and look at this, check this out. Why the bush doesn't burn up. That had to be very odd. You say, well, why is that so odd? Again, they're in the desert. My guess is a bush, if it was on fire, that's not a big deal, but it would just go up really fast. You know, like, and we're not talking a forest. We're not talking an oak here. It's a bush in the desert. My guess, you light the bush in the desert, it's gone and, and out of there. So, um, but he's watching it and it's on fire, but it doesn't stop burning. And it just keeps burning. I'm sure it wasn't the first time he saw a bush on fire, but that this just kept going. And so he drew close to see what, what in the world is this? And it says, when he'd gone over to look, God called from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, wow. Personally, I'd drop over of a heart attack if a bush starts talking to me. I don't know what his response was, but whoa. And he says, calling out and he says, well, I'm Moses, I'm here, what do you want? And, and, and then God starts talking to him about what he wants him to do, which is to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. And we read about it in verse 10. So God says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now this is really powerful and I want you to follow me on this one because of what's happening here. We're looking at a drastic uh, transformation in the life of Moses. Remember 40 years earlier, he's got the world by the tail. He's not afraid of anything. He's extremely self-confident. He ices over the, uh, the Egyptian, kills him, doesn't think anything of it. He stands up for all these bullies, picking on these girls. They all go running away from him. I mean, he's a strong, confident man who's not afraid of anybody. And he felt in his heart, I'm sure at a very early age, this sense of wanting to help his people. He knew where he'd come from. Obviously, he was a very blessed person in that he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and lived this, you know, life of Riley here where everything was great for him. But he knew his people and he felt for them and he wanted to help them. That's why he stepped forward and killed that Egyptian guy. He thought at some point that, man, maybe those guys would celebrate him. In fact, he was shocked the next day when it was the Israelites who started yelling at him for being the one who killed the Egyptian. I mean, it just totally shocked him. Here's a man who goes from, I can do anything. I'm on top of the world. I want to help my people. I'm the man for the job. 40 years later, Almighty God himself shows up, starts talking to him and says, I want you now to go back to Egypt. And he goes, who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Now, clearly over those 40 years, and again, that's a long time. The first half of his life, up to this point, he's 80. The first 40 years, he's this great guy. Now, the last 40, it's goats, it's lambs. It's dragging him around. You know, they had to keep going wherever they, were. they could find grass and stuff. That's why he was, you know, dragging him over by this mountain, uh, taking care of his father-in-law's flocks. Uh, his confidence now is totally and completely gone. He has no more confidence. He has been decimated in terms of his 
uh, energy and self-opinion of himself. Now, uh, God then goes on and he starts to, for, you know, if you want to read it, I encourage you to read it uh, so you can really see what was going on. But God starts reasoning with Moses and telling him how he's going to be with him and how this is going to work and some of the miracles they're going to do. And again, it's God talking to you from a bush. This is a pretty intense thing of, of experiencing God in person. And after basically going back and forth with God and stuff like that, and God said, listen, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. It would be like, you know, if I come up to you and say, hey, I want you to start a new business. And you go, well, I, I can't start a new business. I, I don't have any money. I don't have any customers. I say, look, I want you to start the business. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you the money to get started. I'm going to be there to support everything that you're doing. Uh, I've got customers. I've got some accounts that can come to you. I'm going to set you up. I'm going to do everything I can to set you up in business. That's in essence what God is doing. The guy has no confidence. God said, I am going to take care of everything for you. You are going to succeed greatly. It would be like if I told you that and then you still looked at me and went, oh, I, I don't know. I've never been in I, I don't think I can do it. Well, it's one thing to blow off me or somebody else who's trying. And you can imagine how irritating that would be to a guy like me or anyone else who's saying, look, here's a great business for you. Here's a great opportunity. I'll finance it. I'll support it. I'll do all this for you. And you basically say no to them. It's very insulting to that man. Well, God is a pretty important person, wouldn't you say? Well, Moses basically says after all this, he's wrestling with God and fighting over it. Verse 13 uh, says uh, uh, of the next chapter, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send somebody else. He doesn't want to go. I mean, you can't be more. Now, at this point, as I said in the previous analogy, that's pretty insulting. You'd be insulted too. I mean, if you talk to someone else that, listen, I'll do this for you and I'll give you everything and I'll back you up and I'll help you succeed and they still tell you no, you're going to be pretty irritated at that person. And clearly, God was irritated in the very next verses and the Lord's uh, anger burned against Moses and still reasons with him. He said, well, what about your brother Aaron? Get him to talk for you and help him to help you out and he'll be there and you don't have to be afraid about what to say. Aaron can say it, uh, which is, I've pointed out many times, this picture that we get of Moses confronting Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, which in the new movie, he doesn't really do that. It's not that dramatic. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille's version was very cool where he'd say, let my people go. You know, he's the old man with the staff and everything else. In reality, Moses didn't say anything. Uh, he was a very reluctant warrior. Um, he just stood there with a stick <laughs> and didn't say anything because it was Aaron who did all the talking because Moses was so afraid to talk. Again, the man has no confidence and God uses him. Now, uh, if, as you keep reading, and again, I encourage you to read it for yourself so that you will be biblically literate and not illiterate. But what happens is God gets so mad. Like nobody shows this in any of the movie versions. Uh, God gets so mad at Moses, he has every intention of killing him. I mean, now you say, well, why would God kill him? Again, you don't understand. God is extremely patient. If you doubt God's patience, man, read the Old Testament, read the Kings, and now for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they did horrible things. They sacrificed their own children 
to gods and stuff. I mean, they were immoral. They were horrible. God kept warning him, you better stop, you better stop, you better stop, you better stop. Halfway through kings, I'm thinking, kill him already. But he was so patient. God was so patient with them. Uh, and then finally, before judgment came. Well, why are we so patient there and not so patient with, with a guy like this or other places in the Bible where you see God was really... Imp it's one thing when from a distance you're learning about things. There's another when God Almighty himself shows up and you diss God and you spit in his face. That's, you know, and again, this is Old Testament stuff. This is pretty intense. Uh, God is basically going to bring judgment on Moses. Uh, it's Moses' wife who intercedes for Moses that calms God down. And what she did is very strange. <laughs> I don't want to even read it because it's very bizarre. And I don't want to have to try and explain it. You read it. What do I care? All right. Uh, so this, I'm not trying to do an exhaustive study on Moses, but it's very strange what she does. And it comes, God, she basically intercedes for, for Moses. Then God does, decides not to off the guy. And then finally Moses goes. So, I mean, he starts out doing this with absolutely, positively, no God. But there's an important point here, and that is this. Oftentimes, God can't use you or fulfill what you want or even answer the prayer that you're looking for if you're hanging onto it so tightly. At some point, we always talk about this, you have to be able to let go and let God. And it's in the letting go when you totally surrender, that's when God often will give you what you're looking for. If you're praying uh, not to die and you're afraid to die, that's, that's going to be a problem for you. If you want something so bad and you're crying, oh, God, give me this health. God, help me. Everybody pray for me. We're trying to pray. Oh, I got to have this. I got to have this. Chances of you getting it are pretty slim. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. You cannot be so obsessed with something because God, he's a very jealous God. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oftentimes, people just want God to give them what they want, but what they want is really of more interest to them than God. Now, most people would not admit that, but that's really what's happening. They want that so bad. That's more predominant in their focus. They're completely focused on, I need this. And God, will you help me get this? And God, by the way, God, I need this. Come on, God, everybody pray. Would everybody pray? We're gonna have 17 days of prayer and fasting. Everybody come, I need this. But if you do that, your chances of getting to this are slim to none. Until you get to the point and say, I'm trusting God for this, but God, if I never get this, I don't care. I don't care. Because my hope and my trust is not in these things. My hope and trust is in you. So ironically, it's when we're willing to let go is when God gives us what we ask for. You know, you know even in my own life, you know, I'm <laughs> certainly no Moses. Uh, but even in my own life, I, I see analogies. I remember early in my life, man, I wanted to preach. I wanted to, I remember like from the night I asked Jesus into my heart, 16 years of age, it's like I had a, I could see myself speaking to people. Just right, I mean, uh, you know, that's the closest thing to, and, and even then I knew what it meant when people said they feel called because of what happened. I, I, could, I could just, I had that picture put deep into my heart many, many years ago, and then years later, still again, I could see that, and it just kept, it became a bigger picture in me. But for the first 45, 50 years of my life, nobody cared. Nobody wanted to hear me talk. Nobody. My closest friends, the people who loved me the most, not a single one of them ever said, man, you ought to preach. <laughs> You'd be a great preacher. You'd be this and be ideal. Nobody saw that in me. Zero. There were people when I would preach from time to time, they would enjoy it. 
And they, oh, that was very inspiring. But not a one of them ever came up to me and said, man, you, you ought to go preach. You ought to be a pastor. You ought to do these things. You ought to go speak to people about this, that, and the other. Zero, zilch, nada. All they ever saw was, hey, you're a good piano player. It'll be great. And I thought that would be my, and there's nothing wrong with that. Who cares? You know, that was my goats and chickens, okay? Out in the desert. And I would have been happy to do it. And God knows I would have been happy to do that. I honestly felt that my retirement years, when I hit into my 60s, which I'm there now, I often thought for many years, decades, I thought someday when I hit my 60s, I will just be a piano player for some traveling evangelist somewhere. And that's what I'll do. I'll just play and I'll be happy to do it. Just support someone else preaching and teaching. That's, I'll never do it, but someone else will do it. Uh, uh, and then as I'm hitting, I don't know, was it 48 years of age or something like that, uh, I was uh, in uh, Green Bay uh, working for, the, uh, for Artie Jacobson, the former pastor there. And I remember I was walking along with him down the hall one day and he asked me, he says, hey, Gunger, you ever preach? And I went, I don't know. I, he says, can you? And I said, well, I, I guess I can. Excuse me while I shut up. <laughs> Someone's texting while I'm preaching. There, it's quiet. Uh, he says, can you preach? I said, I, I guess I can. It had been almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. I mean, I just got to the point, you know, I'd gotten out of ministry. I'd, I just thought this will never happen for me. Uh, and it wasn't until I had totally, totally let it go and let it down that all of a sudden um, this opportunity happened. And honestly, when he asked me if I could speak, I, I had no confidence anymore. I said, I, I guess I can. He said, well, we're going to do a men's breakfast one morning. Why, why don't you come and speak at the men's breakfast thing? And I said, okay. And then I did. One thing led to another. And, and here I am today traveling all over the world, speaking into people's lives and having more fun than should be legally allowed. But I mean, sometimes it just takes a while. And I think the thing that takes a while often is just for us to get to a point where we can let go and let God. Does God want to bless you? Yes. Does God want to answer your prayers? Yes. Does God want to do wonderful and fabulous things in your life? Yes, yes, yes. But not if you're hanging so tightly on those things that you'll be miserable if you don't get them. We have to learn to let go and let God. And this is in essence what happened to Moses. Now in his case, he was so discouraged, he never thought he could do it. Next week, we'll pick up the account here and then show you what happens as we watch Moses transform into a very reluctant warrior into an incredible man of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray for those that are struggling uh, this morning, listening to me, over in Appleton, or back home in Green Bay here at our Stevens Point campus. People who very desperately are trusting you for things. But Lord, oftentimes we hang on so tightly. I pray this morning you would help them to start to let go, to let God. Lord, indeed you want to bless them. Indeed you want to help them. Indeed you want to answer their prayers. But help us not to be so obsessed that if we don't get it, we can't be happy. That we'll be afraid. That we'll be tormented by not getting our answer. Lord, help us to let go and to let God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you.